we read into one another's hearing, or as I read into your hearing, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, it reads this way. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable in every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to, to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The very words of God. Amen. You all may be seated here in the presence of God. I also want to give a special welcome to those of you who are watching uh, via our live stream this morning. We're so excited that you've tuned in to worship with us. One of my good friends grew up in southern France. He, he grew up actually in a city called Marseille. Uh, and uh, this city, Marseille, is actually right off of the Mediterranean Sea. So one of the things that he grew up doing with his brother and uh, his dad was uh, one of the ways that they did guy time together is that they would get together and just go out on the boat with one another out onto the Mediterranean Sea. And so they would uh, get out to the middle of the sea and they would uh, set their anchor and then they would jump off and swim and dive and jump off of cliffs, all types of uh, stuff that I am not brave enough to attempt. Uh, and yet that would be what they would do in order to spend time with one other. Now, he fell in love with a woman from Chicago. So Marseille, if you can imagine, is sort of like Miami in terms of climate. Uh, and so he fell in love with a woman from Chicago, moved to Chicago, had to get himself a new parka, and had to figure out how to navigate the cold because he's used to a climate like Miami. And so uh, one of the things that he does that he figured out that he really, really loved is that in order to make it through the cold of Chicago, because he's from a climate like Miami, is that he would uh, experience the nostalgia of his childhood by going out on Lake Michigan. So one of his favorite things to do is to do this rideshare program uh, where he could get a sailboat and go out onto Lake Michigan. Now, some of y'all just heard there's a rideshare program for boats and you didn't know that. And I just blessed you. You're welcome. That was for free. Uh, and so whenever there's an open slot the day, uh, the day after uh, he's getting ready to try to go out on one of these boats, he can secure uh, his, uh, his, uh, he can secure that boat for free because nobody's going to use the boat. They want the boat to, to be out being used. And so that's what he'll do. He'll slide in when somebody didn't, uh, 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 didn't, didn't, uh, 
choose the boat for that day, and then they'll go out on the boat for free, completely for free. And every now and then in the summertime, my wife and I will go out with him, uh, and he'll ride this sailboat out to the middle of Lake Michigan, uh, and then eventually he'll get to a place where he decides that we want to stop. We want to stay here for a little while. And so he uh, will ride all the way out uh, to where he wants to stop, uh, and then all of a sudden, what you realize is that where he wasn't paying close attention before, now all of a sudden he's paying close attention because we want to stay here for a while. Uh, And now as he's setting the anchor down, uh, he's paying very careful attention to the way that the anchor is set because he knows that if it's not set the right way, eventually the boat is going to drift and we don't want it to drift. Uh, and so if, if the wind comes or the, the way that the sea uh, is blowing or, or the way that the waves are crashing, he knows that if he sets the anchor the right way, they'll be able to stay in place. Uh, and so he pays careful attention when he sets the anchor. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are going through intense persecution. Uh, They are being thrown in prison for their faith in Jesus. They're losing jobs because of their faith in Jesus. And you and I might not experience that same kind of persecution, but God's word in Hebrews chapter 2 it. It is the same word that he spoke to those in ancient times is the same word to you and to me. His word is pay attention. Pay attention so that you don't drift away. Pay attention so that when the winds and the storms of, of life come at you, that you're so anchored in, uh, in Jesus that you aren't tossed and turned by what life throws at you. He says, He says to you and me, pay attention. Make sure that you don't drift. And so for our time together, I want to preach from that subject this morning. I want to preach from the subject, pay attention, pay attention. And I want to answer a a few questions as it pertains to why we should pay attention. The first thing that we're going to look at this morning, if this could kind of serve as our table of contents, is that we should pay attention because we have the fullest explanation of what God is doing in the world, more full than anybody else in human history. We have the fullest explanation of what God is doing in the world, more than anybody else in human history. Secondly, we should pay attention because God holds people accountable for what they do with the message of salvation. We should pay attention because God holds people accountable for what they do with the message of salvation. And last, as we round third and head for home this morning, we're going to look at the fact that we should pay attention because God literally became one of us in order to deal with our problem. God became one of us in order to deal with our problem. I want to preach from the subject, pay attention, pay attention. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness for the opportunity to gather together this morning to worship you, to sing to you, Uh, and now, God, for the opportunity to uh, open up your word and explain it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stand in my body, think with my mind, teach with my tongue those things which we are to know, say, and do. Would Jesus get exalted in our time together? It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Look with me at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 2. It says, uh, we must pay the most careful attention, the NIV says, therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. 
so what is it that we've heard or what's been communicated so that we don't drift away? Well, Pastor Derek did an incredible job the past two weeks explaining to us Hebrews chapter one and explaining all of what God is doing through the person and work of Jesus. But just to refresh our memories and for those of us who haven't been hanging out with us, let's look back at Hebrews chapter one, verse one. The scripture says, long ago and at many times and many ways, God has spoken to the people through prophets. And later on, we see that God explained himself through uh, angels at times, right? Pastor Derek talked about angels last, last week. But now, uh, it's not just intermediaries or mediators, but God has spoken not through those types of people, but he's spoken through his son, and his son isn't just anybody, right? His son isn't some secondary, tertiary leader. His son, scripture says, is the one through whom the world was created. Uh, he, he is uh, the one who was in the beginning with God and who was God, right? He uh, is the word become flesh and uh, dwelt among us. That is, that is who Jesus is. And we talked about how Jesus didn't have a start date, right? He has existed from all eternity past and he has no end date. He was and he is and he is to come. That, that is who Jesus is. But not only has Jesus created the world, and everything in it through uh, his word, but also Jesus is the one who sustains the world of his power. He, he is the one who keeps you breathing right now. He's, he's the reason why you're able to uh, stand on your feet, why you're able to sing out those songs. Jesus is literally willing you to be able to do the things that you're able to do. And the author of the book of Hebrews is communicating to us that Jesus has the exact nature as God. And so if that's who Jesus is, and Jesus is not some kind of uh, good teacher, or Jesus is not some kind of prophet sent from God, but if Jesus is literally God in the flesh, the one who created the world and sustains the world, then that means that he is distinct. God has communicated to us through himself. He has come and made it plain. Somebody say, make it plain. Jesus makes it plain nature of who God is and what he's doing in the world. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in Hebrews 1 and 3. Uh, and Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 3, the prophet Isaiah, uh, so one of those prophets that we talked about who was communicated by God and superintended to write his letter in Isaiah, uh, he sees a vision of God in Isaiah chapter 6. And the Bible says this uh, about his vision. And the words will come up on the screen. Now remember, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, parenthetically speaking, 
There are some of you in this room right now who say when you leave church, you're kind of like, man, I wish they wouldn't sing those songs that are so repetitive. Some of those songs are so repetitive, I just can't get into them because they keep singing those same lyrics over and over and over again. I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to be uncomfortable in the presence of God because the angels keep crying out, holy, 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 over and over and over again. So these angels, these seraphim, the scripture says, they're angels and they're flying around. They have six wings, but with only two wings they fly. With two they cover their faces and with two they cover their feet, crying out, holy, holy, holy. And the voices these angels shake the doorposts of the temple. That's how powerful their voices are. And the temple fills with smoke and, and they're covering their faces because to look at the presence of the glory of God is too much to handle. You see, to look at the presence of God is to look at the source of everything that you've ever said, that's beautiful. To look at the face of God is to look at the source of everything that has ever taken your breath away. Simultaneously, in one moment in time, and so the angels are flying around with their faces covered because literally they can't handle to see the glory of God. And hear this. In Exodus, earlier on in a story in the Bible, uh, the, uh, a guy by the name of Moses, he is, he is really interested in meeting with God. Uh, he is an important person in the Christian faith, and he's, uh, he's an important port person in setting the people of Israel free from 400 years of slavery. Uh, and, and, and eventually, he gets to this place of communicating with God, and he says to God, God, I want to see your face. And God says in response to Moses' request, no person can see my face and live. Because to see the face of God is to see the source of of everything that you have ever said that's beautiful. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes his uh, sinner posse together, uh, Peter, James, and John, and he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And he is transformed. He is metamorphosized, right? And he uh, is changed. And all of a sudden, Peter, James, and John see the glory of Jesus. They see him in his natural state. They, they see him in the state that he was in, in heaven. And the Bible says that Peter is so frightened that he's just jibber-jabbering. And the Bible says he's frightened and starts talking because he didn't know what to say. That's what happened when Peter, James, and John saw the radiance of Jesus' glory. And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He radiates and is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And, and as John puts it, we have beheld his glory. Literally, Jesus is the glory of God. 
Hebrews 1 and 3, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In the older portions of the scriptures, when the priests would go into the tabernacle or the temple, they had a sacrificial system uh, that they would sacrifice animals so that they uh, would, their sins would be covered for that uh, certain particular point in time, right? Uh, and so they have a tabernacle and they have, uh, they have the temple later on when they're able to establish their nation and all of that stuff, right? Uh, and, and what you'll notice if you look at the history of the tabernacle and the temple is that there was never a place to sit down in the tabernacle. There was no place to sit down because the work was never finished. So when the Bible says that Jesus has sat down Next to the Father, the work has been completed. There's no more left to do. It's done in Jesus. He is, uh, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And, and, and the author of, of the book of Hebrews is saying to you and I that all of, all of this book, all of what has been communicated in the past through prophets and angels, all of what has been superintended for them to write down in this book, it was all pointing to Jesus who is the radiance of the glory of God. And you and I have that communication. Luke 24 says this, Jesus speaking, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Tabernacle, temple, sacrificial system, child through whom the entire world would be blessed. Genesis chapter 3, there's going to be a child uh, to the woman that's going to crush the serpent's head. Child through whom the lineage of, of David is always going to have an everlasting kingdom. All of those things, the entire storyline of the Bible was pointing to Jesus. And so the author of the book of Hebrews says to you and me, wake up! Pay attention! Jesus is not some good teacher. He's not some prophet. He's not just somebody to emulate. He's what everything in human history was about. You see, pay attention because we have the fullest explanation of what God is doing in the world, more full than anybody else in the history of humanity. Imagine for the first time you're hanging out with one of your friends and uh, say you're new uh, to Chicago, say uh, you haven't been to Chicago for a while, or maybe you're visiting New York City, right? And you're from the suburbs though, and so you're not familiar with the train. And so you go to your friend's house and uh, you're sitting there when all of a sudden you hear this roar that sounds like it's getting ready to come through the wall, right? Sounds like it's getting ready to come through the wall and, 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 and you jump up all of a sudden because it sounds like some, some catastrophe is is getting ready to happen, right? Because your friend lives right next to the train, but you didn't pay attention to the fact that your friend lives right next to the train, but it sounds like something's getting ready to come through the wall, right? Uh, and so you jump up all of a sudden and you're like, what is that? Your friend, your friend is like, what was what? What you talking about? What, what was that thing that just sounded like it was getting ready to come through the wall? Oh, that's, that's the train. I, I guess I hardly, 
I guess I've become familiar with the train. I I guess I'm so used to the train. You know, the train's always around. I guess I, I guess I sometimes forget it's there. I guess sometimes I, I fail to even notice its presence. Can we be real for a moment? We've been a year through a global pandemic. And if we're honest with ourselves, there have been points in time where what we said was the centerpiece of our lives, the person and work of Jesus Christ, we've drifted from it. We've drifted. And it's like, yeah, I'll get to Jesus. I'm going to do me a quiet time tomorrow. I'm going to get to Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the service online. I'll get to that on Wednesday. I'm, watch, I'm, I'm just going to do the dishes while I, while I listen to the words about Jesus. Jesus has a lot of good things to say about my life. Jesus has a lot of things that he's doing in the world. He's so awesome. And yet he doesn't take priority in your own life. And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, listen, y'all. This is as good as it gets right here. This is what all of human history was pointing to. This, this is the whole shooting match right here. Ain't no room for apathy. Ain't no room for I'll, get, I, I, I'll figure that out later. The time is now. Pay attention. Sometimes we treat Jesus like the train that we live next to. Sounds like it's coming through the wall, but we hardly even notice his impact in our lives. Now, here I am. Pastor D says, I'm at your kitchen, uh, but I'm going to go a step further, and I'm going to say, I'm in your Kool-Aid, and I got your flavor. Some of us have been vaccinated for a while. Can we be honest? We've been vaccinated for a while, and some of y'all listen to me online. You listen to this on Wednesday. It ain't even Sunday right now. And for whatever reason, some part of the community of faith, some part of the rhythm of uh, of hearing God's word spoken about Jesus in the rhythm of every Sunday has become some kind of tertiary thing for you. And we've drifted. And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, pay attention. You're vaccinated. Your whole family vaccinated. Y'all sign up to come to church. Sign up to come, sign up to come to church. Sign up next week to come to church. We've drifted. Some of us 
we need to reach back out to those small group friends you've been ghosting. Those people that y'all used to talk about Jesus and what Jesus was doing in your life. And uh, girl, you know, we was praying and God answered the prayers. You don't even know whatever happened to that person because you ain't responded to a text. Well, I don't want them to know that, that, that Jesus is the same priority as he once was in my life. You better get that figured out. The author of the book of Hebrews says, says, pay attention. Pay attention. Baby step. Baby step. You ready? When you wake up tomorrow, baby step. Before you pick up your phone, baby step. Before you check your email, baby step. Turn some music on about Jesus. Before, before, uh, before uh, you start to, to hit up two chains, go on and, and turn on, break every chain. You're, uh, be, before you, you talking about 4 a.m., I just got started. Go on and, go on and turn on. Uh, late in the midnight out, God's going to turn it around. It's going to work in your favor. Come on, Damon. I got, I'm hitting notes up here, man. And, and obviously, I'm teasing, right? But still, there, there still is this rhythm of making Jesus the priority of our lives in our days. Every single day to remind ourselves of what's What's real about me? What's real about what God is doing in the world? What's what before the anxiety hits me, right? Before the Instagram stories start, I'm like, ah, oh my goodness, my chest hurts. To make time for the precedence, precedence of your day to be focused on Jesus and everything else comes second. And the reality is, I don't care who you are. We're in a pandemic. You've drifted. Some, some part of you has drifted. Uh, C.S. Lewis, and, and, and he, he says something really strong, but I think it's important for us uh, to pay attention to. He, he says this, and the words will come up on the screen. He says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings without milestones, without signposts. The gentle slope of no quiet time today. I'll get to that later. The gentle slope of, I'll listen to worship uh, on Thursday. I'll catch up on Thursday. The gentle slope of, man, I, I didn't even realize we was on a series in the Hebrews. There's no milestones. The sign is me right now saying, pay attention. It's Hebrews chapter two saying, y'all wake up. Pay attention. God has given us the clearest explanation of what he's doing in the world than anybody else in all of human history. 
Pay attention, secondly, because God holds people accountable for what they do with the message of salvation. God holds people accountable for what they do with the message of salvation. Light subject today. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says this. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So essentially, what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying is that it, within this first generation of people who became followers of Jesus, like they literally know people who saw Jesus get up from the dead. They were like, I was at the, I was at the crucifixion. The brother is alive. They were there when he ascended into heaven, right? So there's people who get, can give eyewitness account to what has happened. There's also some incredible things that have happened in order to shine a light that this stuff is true. So there's miracles and signs that are being done in the first century church to let people know this is real. This, this, this is, is verified. What they said was going to happen, it has happened, And, and now we live in response to what has happened. And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying that God held people accountable to what they did in response to what he'd revealed, even when they didn't know who Jesus was. Back in the day when we just had the first portions of this book, God still held people accountable to what had already been revealed. So in, uh, in the book of, uh, of Exodus, uh, same guy, Moses, very important person, after God had set the people of Israel free, after 400 years of slavery and bondage, right, he goes up, to, uh, uh, up the mountain to get the, the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, right? So he, he receives these Ten Commandments. He comes down from the mountain, and the people had already begun to craft uh, an image of a golden calf. And they begin to worship this image, right? Uh, and so he had just set them free from 400 years uh, of slavery. And, and essentially what we get to see in the scripture is that God holds those people accountable. I just set you free after 400 years of slavery. That There's my love. There's my freedom. I, I want to have a relationship with you. First commandment, have no other gods besides me before we can even get that done all of a sudden it's broken. And God holds those people accountable. And, uh, and essentially, if you were to look at uh, the, the commandments themselves, what, what you'll see is that God has initiated a relationship with the people of Israel and essentially said, this is how I roll. This is how I operate. If I made you in my image, I expect you to worship. If I was the one who created you, I expect you not to worship other stuff besides me right? Like, that's ridiculous, right? Why would you worship something I created? That's my commandment. Another part of that commandment, Jesus says, uh, another, not, another part of how Jesus summarized the commandments or summarized the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this vertical relationship, and there's this horizontal relationship, and in essence, God is communicating something about who he is, uh, and, and so God holds those people accountable based on him setting them free, now saying to them, this is how I roll. I want you to roll like I do, and then he holds them accountable to that. Now, some of y'all are saying to yourself, God, uh, Steve, like, I don't understand. 
I don't understand why you would think that God holds people accountable to what's been revealed about him. I don't understand. Uh, I, I don't understand because God is a God of love. That's the way that I understand God. God is a God of love. God is a God of, of compassion. God uh, is a God of, of peace, right? God is all of those things. And I'd be the first person to tell you that God is a God of love, that it's God's love that brings people to repentance. Matter of fact, in order for you and I to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ rightly, we have to understand the love of God rightly, okay? So literally, for us to understand the gospel rightly means that we have to understand that it was God's love that motivated God sending Jesus. So if you think to yourself and you look at the cross and say to yourself, see, Jesus died, therefore God loves me, that's not the gospel. The gospel is God loves me, so he sent Jesus to die for me. It's, it's not predicated on something that Jesus has done. It's already predicated on his love for you and for me. As a matter of fact, for those of us who've been created in the image of God, it's not until we experience the deep, soul-satisfying love of God that we can truly be satisfied. Uh, and when we place our faith in Jesus, what happens is we get united to Jesus and what God says over his son is what he then says over you and me, not predicated on us getting ourselves together, not predicated on us cleaning ourselves up, not predicated uh, on us pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but solely predicated on the grace that's been provided in the person and work of Jesus and our faith in that. Now the father says over you and me, this is my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. He says over you and me by faith in the grace that he provided, beloved, beloved, beloved. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to find satisfaction in other areas, in other things, worshiping and serving, trusting in different things to bring you lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. And the deepest longing of your soul will not be met until you experience the love of God. Because he is a God of love. And while he is a God of love, Love doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. As a matter of fact, I think Child Protective Services says that's neglect when a child gets to do whatever they want, right? And so God can't overlook part of his character for the sake of another part of his character. Somebody say God is holy. God is holy. That means that God is set apart, that he's morally perfect. As the prophet Drake uh, said uh, of, of you and me, uh, I'm the furthest thing from perfect like everyone I know. Some of y'all will catch that on your way home. Uh, the reality of our situation, who we are and who God is, is distinctly different. Uh, and, and yet God pursues us and initiates a, a, a relationship. And uh, as a matter of fact, when we go through difficulty and struggle and trial, the interesting thing about the New Testament scriptures is that the New Testament authors don't say, God, would you, they, they don't pray for people who they're writing to for God to change their circumstances. They don't. They actually pray that people would experience another layer of God's love. So in Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 19, this is the apostle Paul praying uh, for 
the people at Ephesus. He says this, and the words will come up on the screen. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, give you the power, the strength through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in what? Love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It is God's love that he prays for them to experience. And yet God is holy. He is morally perfect and we uh, we are not. And in those 10 commandments it, summarized by Jesus, the whole law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we could just consider for a moment that if, uh, if God made us in his image, if we are literally c created in the image of God, and uh, even if you don't believe that, just consider that for a moment with me. Uh, if, if we're created in the image of God, but we regularly build our lives on things other than him, uh, meaning our, our, our vocation takes precedence over him, meaning our family takes precedence over him, our, our romantic relationships take precedence over him. Uh, come on, rom-com friends. Where y'all at? Jerry Maguire, you complete me. Can I, can I just bust your bubble real quick? You know what Jerry Maguire was saying? Some of y'all too young to remember Jerry Maguire. He was saying, I worship you. I wasn't a complete human being before. Now you complete me. You know what the only thing is that you and I as human beings get completed by? Jesus Christ. And so regularly, we're being communicated different things and believing different things about what is going to bring us lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. Those things that we trust in, that is worship. And so imagine if you're regularly and perpetually trusting in things other than the one whose image you're made in to bring you lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. What is that? It's rebellion against God. It's what, it's what the Bible calls sin. And God being God, being holy, cannot just let you do whatever you want to do. He's got to hold you accountable. And so the, the, the author of the book of Hebrews is saying to you and, and to me that, 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 that in essence, we have to pay attention because God is going to hold us accountable to what we did with this message. You're not going to get to the end of your life and, the, and just be like, well, I, I didn't really care about Jesus and, and God not hold you accountable to that. He says, pay attention because we have the clearest explanation of what God is doing in the world, more clear than anybody in the rest of human history. Pay attention because God is going to hold you and I accountable to what we did with that message. There is no room for apathy with Jesus. But third and finally, pay attention because God literally became one of us in order to deal with our problem. Look with me uh, at Hebrews chapter two and verse eight. It says this. 
and putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Here it is. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So the author of the book of Hebrews is, ta- is talking about the importance and significance uh, that human beings play in, in the role of redemption and creation, and, uh, and we're going to talk uh, uh, more about that next week. But, but Jesus, who has eternally existed as God, stepped into humanity, that's what he's saying, to not just look like a human being, but to become a human being, to perfectly represent us, to, uh, to perfectly stand in our place. John says that the word became flesh and lived perfectly like no one else. He never built his life on anything other than the love of the Father. He, he took on death so that we don't have to taste it. He, he became one of us so that he could fully represent us. And now because of that, God has now crowned him with glory and honor. As we said earlier, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's because he was never apathetic about uh, about the things of God. It's, it's because he never drifted from the love of God. It's because in the garden of Gethsemane, even with all the pressure of what was getting ready to happen, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. It's because he did those things and because we often find ourselves saying, Lord, let my will be done, but it's because Jesus said, God, let your will be done. It's because he took on the anxiety going to the cross, sweating droplets of blood coming down his face. It's because Jesus did God's will instead of our will that he calls you and I to do what? Pay attention. To take our faith seriously. I know you're in a pandemic. The old message is still the true message and the true message is still the best message. Ain't nothing changing that. So regardless of where you've drifted to, wake up, pay attention, press on in your pursuit of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness to us. We thank you, God, even when we don't want to hear it, that there are words like these in the Bible that call us to wake up, that call us to pay attention to what you're doing in the world. I'm reminded of the verse in Peter that says that the enemy is like a, a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. Looking to those who ain't paying attention. And so, Father, regardless of where we've drifted from, from this morning, I pray that today would be a wake-up call to prioritize our faith, to prioritize the importance and significance of the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, would we would we place it in our hearts as the most significant thing that has ever happened in human history? Would nothing take its place in our hearts? And when they do, God, when, when, when those things become bigger than, than Jesus for us, God, we pray that we would quickly repent of those things, that we would quickly turn to trust in Jesus. Father, we're in desperate need of you. Maybe for many of us, maybe in, in, a, in a new way that we've never experienced before. 
And so I, I pray over everybody who's listening right now, God, that you would arrest our attention, that you would fill our hearts with your love, that we would see a new reflection of the gospel, a new beauty of the gospel. a new part of it that motivates us to want to live for you and love you and obey you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.